0: Hi, everyone. I'm Mike Calver, a partner solution architect with AWS. Uh, You saw my partner, uh, Anupam Mishra. Uh, He's a principal solutions architect with AWS. Today, we're going to be talking about optimizing uh, Redshift uh, on AWS. And at the end of my slide presentation, Anupam will give a demonstration to show kind of what those best practices are in the real world. So quick overview, like I just mentioned. Um, We're going to do a a very high-level overview of Redshift, uh, the typical Node architecture, and then we'll hop into the optimization tips, uh, then the demonstration, and then hopefully we'll have enough time left over to do a question and answer for you guys. Uh, This is just uh, some of the customers that we have that are using uh, Amazon Redshift. One I want to call out specifically is Foursquare. Foursquare had an issue uh, a while ago where they wanted to kind of have a cost savings with their uh, existing Database uh, system. So what they went to is Amazon Redshift. What the the problems that they had was the they had yearly licensing costs with their existing database system, and it was very hard to keep up. So they had to have a dedicated staff to sit there and maintain it, and they wanted to kind of shift those people to kind of a, a different area and use their time a little more optimally. Um, so what they did is they introduced Amazon Redshift. And in conjunction with Amazon Redshift and Tableau, they were to get those cost savings down in terms of not having the licensing costs anymore, and they, were allowed, they uh, could get the uh, team to focus on other things in terms of optimization and other projects that they wanted to push forward. Uh, now we'll just start with a quick service overview of Amazon Redshift. Amazon Redshift is our uh, uh, fully managed data warehouse, uh, it's simple, cost-effective SQL. Um, Using uh, SQL, standard SQL, and you can use your existing business intelligence tools. Um, no upfront costs. Um, there's also Amazon Spectrum, uh, Amazon Redshift Spectrum, which uh, we'll be showing a demo later, where you can query petabytes of data uh, across S3, and, can, and it supports formats like CSV, Grok, um, Parquet, and other formats that you can see on the Amazon Redshift website. And then this is just a typical known architecture. So there's two important parts to to the Amazon Redshift cluster. There's the leader node and the compute nodes. The leader node, obviously, as it sounds, is the leader. Um, It orchestrates the communication um, between the compute nodes. Uh, It parses and develops the execution plans to carry out uh, the operations uh, and sends those optimized query plans to the compute nodes. And the compute nodes are the ones that actually do the the data crunching. Um, So they have there's two different types. There's dense compute. And then dense uh, um, storage. Uh, the DC2s, I don't know if you're familiar, just launched in uh, October uh, the, as opposed to the DC1s. So I think it's 30% more performance at the same price. And then this is just another example of leader node showing uh, how it's partitioned and sending the data to the compute node. So the compute nodes have uh, slices. So for example, a DC2. Uh, Large will have less slices than a DC2 8XL, and you have to choose how many slices you want based on your uh, your workload. And it, you know, not one size fits all, but it just depends on you know what you're doing and, and your cost savings and stuff like that. And then we're diving right now into the uh, optimization part of it. So this the first part is lo- we want you to load your data efficiently. Um, so when you're using the copy command, once you to load uh, all the data load all the data in parallel. Um, We highly recommend compressing the data. If you guys use the copy command, by default, it will use a default compression um, and thus load the data a little more quickly. Uh, Sometimes the default compression isn't optimal, so sometimes you'll have to use... Oops, sorry about that. uh, Analyze compress and play with a sample set of data to see which compression algorithm works for your um, data. And then obviously we want you to split the files uh, into multiple... Files, so that you can um, leverage the parallel processing of the slices and the, com- the compute um, to input their, to uh, slurp up that data. Uh, next, we have uh, table design. Upfront table design is critical. Uh, the distribution key and sort key, obviously in, uh, influence performance. Um, primary, key for, uh, primary key, foreign key, unique key. Uh, the, unique key is not, uh, the unique key constraint is not enforced. Um, data distribution has two primary goals. Those are the, dis- the distribution... Digi- sorry, excuse me. Distribute the workload uniformly and minimize movement... Uh, I'm sorry. Minimize, uh, sorry, data uh, movement during a query. Uh, and then also we want to compress data for faster speed and lower cost because you don't want uh, uncompressed data on the disk because that's obviously more expensive um, for you to, to spend. Next we'll talk about sort keys. So with sort keys, um, we want to use these on uh, where clauses. This is... Uh, this is just... Uh, sorry, one second. Did I skip something? Um, This is just an example of the sort keys. This is just a little more data, different types of sort keys and where they're most applicable. Uh, Compound sort keys are good for known query patterns like time series data. Uh, Interleave sort keys give uh, equal weight to each column in the sort key. The interleaved sort key is also good against uh, very large tables, for example, something with a billion rows. And then this is just an example of how you can see uneven uh, distribution keys just visually. So with uneven distribution keys and the data being unevenly distributed across your uh, nodes and slices, you're going to have pretty bad performance if one uh, slice and one node is taking longer because you're only going to be as fast as your slowest slice. So that's why we stress making sure up front that you have the right distribution keys uh, to get that data evenly distributed across um, your nodes and slices. And then this is just some of the optimization you can do for um, the SKU distribution. There's a uh, 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 a GitHub repo with some scripts that I'll share at the end of the slide that has various tools and automated things you can run against your Redshift cluster um, to optimize it. Um, And so when choosing a distribution key, you want to make sure it has high cardinality so that something that's rather unique um, and the values are very uncommon. So, for example, if you, don't, if you can't find a distribution key, distribution key uh, that's a good fit, you can try using even. And what even distribution key does is it distributes the data across all the, the nodes evenly, basically in a round-robin style. Uh, and then there's also another option for smaller tables where you can use distyle all, and if it's a small enough subset, that will put it on the first slice of every compute node so that it doesn't have to go out and get that data to another uh, node for, for something that's, you know, that you uh, would query a bunch or join. Uh, next thing I want to talk about is varchar columns. Uh, some of the best practices we have there, uh, some people think that uh, it's best practice to use the maximum size just so you don't have to do anything later. Uh, use the smallest possible size you can. Uh, we compress press data uh, pretty well in Redshift um, so that you don't have to worry about the, the large size. Um, it has minimal impact on the size of the data tables. Uh, during processing for complex queries, however, intermediate queries... Uh, need to be stored in temporary tables or potentially on disks. So if you have larger um, varchar columns, they're not compressed, so it can use that uh, disk thus slowing down your queries. So like I said, you don't want to use the largest uh, varchar column you have. You want to use what makes sense for you guys. Uh, Next, we have disk-based queries. Obviously, uh, disk is slower than memory, so there's uh, a, a script that I, or a query that I've written up there that will identify any of the queries that you have that are disk-based, uh, and obviously you want to optimize those and make sure that either increase the memory uh, in the WM which I'll talk about a little later, um, or maybe it's just not an optimized query and you can take a look and see um, to optimize it. Uh, there's also queue assignment rules that I just mentioned, um, and then there's dynamic memory allocation you can do, so you can increase memory on specific queues for specific sessions if you have a... a, a end-of-year report or end-of-quarter uh, report that's using more resources than necessary, you can kind of tweak that on the fly without having to restart the cluster. You can also use new, add new uh, queues to the WMQ. The only problem is if you add a new queue, you'll have to restart the cluster. And then next, we have the commit queue usage. So the commit queue usage are expensive. expensive. Uh, it, it, There's a script that we have called commit-stats-sql. You can run it, and it'll show um, various queries and how long they've spent in the commit queue. Um, And then you can analyze that and see what you need to do to optimize it uh, in terms of uh, is it loading data too long or are you pulling from the wrong data source? And then this is just an example of what the the script looks like. So you'll see... um, This is just the the query that you see up there. Um, it just shows the the commit time. It's not necessarily the prettiest thing. But you can see you know which um, which queries on which nodes are taking the longest, and then kind of dig into what what's going on in those. And next I'll talk about the WM queue. So there's two queues created by default. There's a super user queue. This is uh, only when you wanna run uh, queries that affect the system or for troubleshooting purposes. And then there's a the default user. The default user queue um, is, initially query, or is initially configured um, for five concurrency, um, but you can add, you can tweak that depending upon your workload. Um, I, I don't remember what we recommend, um, but it, it depends on your workload. I think we had at one time said so we didn't wanna go over 20 for concurrency, but it just depends on your, um, your workload. And then, again, with the WMQ, uh, you want to identify short and long-running queries to prioritize them. Obviously, the shorter ones, you can uh, schedule around the long-running queries, like I mentioned, the the end-of-year reports, the um, um, quarterly reports, those types of things. Um, And then there's another uh, script that I just mentioned to tune uh, peak concurrency. So it's a script that you can see to make sure your queues are configured properly where you're not running into collision and waiting for stuff to queue up. Um, it's, a, it's listed here, and I have another link at the end of the, the slides uh, to show where you can get the, the files and the tools to, to kind of look at the, the queues to make sure you've scheduled everything properly and set up the queues properly. And then this is just an example of a WMQ and how it works through the process. Um, so if a user is logged in as a super user and runs a query, the query group label is superuser. user. The query is obviously assigned to the super user um, queue. And then if it's um, if, user, if a user is assigned to a listed user group, it's assigned to the, the query, the, the queue that is assigned to the, that's assigned to that user group. And then if nothing, if they, it doesn't match anything, it just goes to, just goes to that default queue, um, and it's executed across the, the Redshift cluster. Uh, next, we have table maintenance. Uh, so, uh, with table maintenance, uh, you know, uh, like other data users requires statistics about tables and, and comp- composition of data blocks being stored in order to make good decisions. Uh, so, we recommend, depends on your workload, um, analyze to get those statistics updated and to show, to, so that the, the, uh, lead, the leader node can optimize those queries for you across the, the compute nodes. And then you also want to run Analyze when uh, loading popular columns. Uh, And then Vacuum is another one. So when you delete rows or add rows, um, there's unnecessary space that's there. Um, So you want to use Vacuum to kind of reclaim that space. So if you um, delete, like I mentioned, if you delete rows, it doesn't really delete them. There's empty space in there, so that's just empty um, space that you can reclaim using the vacuum, and again vacuum tables um, there 's a script that 's there that will um, based on a threshold you can configure to say if it 's over a certain percentage to um, to run that to, to run a vacuum against it and you want to run it off hours because that could potentially cause issues if it 's a long running vacuum query and again it's, these are all just kind of common things i 've seen customers use it's, It depends upon what you want it, what your workload looks like to kind of really tune the vacuum and some of the maintenance stuff, you know, off hours, make sure it doesn't collide in the maintenance window and make sure it's not blocking other queries from running. And with that, I'll turn it over to Anupam for the demo.
1: Thanks, Mike. Yep. Uh, hi everyone um, so let's uh, great recommendations by mike so let's put uh, some of those things into practice uh, a lot of things which mike talked about are how to optimize your redshift cluster uh, but last year we announced a new product called the redshift spectrum how many of you are aware of redshift spectrum just raise your hands oh great how many of you use it in your work or probably one or two okay awesome uh, how many of you use glue here Three or four, yeah. Okay, so so what I'm going to show today is uh, how Redshift Spectrum can be used uh, to combine the power of Redshift with uh, the free-form queries which you can do on S3. So traditionally, the way uh, data warehousing world works is you have some data coming into uh, either your S3 or your databases through various uh, import jobs, and then they, it goes into, there's an ETL pipeline which uh, puts it into Redshift, and that's where you query Um, And there were two parallel paths earlier, like Redshift was one path and querying S3 was one. But with Spectrum, both of them combined together. And you can query your S3 files from Redshift as if the data was stored in Redshift, even though it is not stored. So you're directly sending your queries to S3. And I'm going to show you how that works and also share some best practices when uh, you work on uh, a use case like that, how can you optimize those use cases. So let's, let's jump into that. Awesome. So I'm going to use my browser. Cool. So first thing, so uh, what I want to do is uh, I want to um, start with the Redshift cluster and show you what are the different uh, things we can do with Spectrum and how do we start using Spectrum. So let's put that to use. So first, I'm logged in into my uh, AWS console. I've already created a few databases, so I'll use one which I have not used before. I created a bunch of test databases, so I'll probably choose 501 to start with. And then um, I'll take the endpoint and try to log in into this uh, or connect to this. Okay. So I just, uh, I already have psql here, uh, so which allows me to send uh, queries from my console to, okay, I hope this is uh, visible, yeah, I think. Anybody uh, not, should I increase the font size or pretty good? Pretty good, awesome. So let's let's connect to this database. Okay, so we are in our uh, new Redshift 501 database, Uh, now our data warehouse. What we want to do is, first thing, uh, I want to check what version it is. So, so I've created a list of scripts which I'll be, which I'll be running and also, also explaining you what each one of them is doing. And by the end of this exercise, you will know how Redshift and uh, Spectrum work together, how you can uh, create automated pipelines which create Parquet files, uh, how do you compress files. So, so if you want to like just take the gist of it, there are three things which you want to do when you are dealing with, uh, files which are being queried. So you're talking about S3 files. One is you want to compress the data. Second one is you want to um, have a columnar storage. So there are a lot of formats. Uh, we, we are going to use Parquet for today. And then the third piece is uh, making sure you keep your data partitioned, so you don't scan the whole storage. Uh, those are the three things. I'm going to show all three of them uh, step by step. And uh, hopefully, uh, you'll make some good use of that. So, so first, uh, we have checked the version. Uh, spectrum is supported only above a certain version so it's uh, uh, 1. Point, uh, let me increase the font size of this as well okay awesome so so 1.12 1.0.1294 if you if you upgrade your and shift to above this then you can use spectrum otherwise it's not allowed uh, so so with that being clear uh, let's let's go with a sample data set which i have here so and increase the font size here as well. OK, let's make it a little smaller. Cool. So I'll make it a little shorter. Awesome. So what I'm doing is I'm going to a S3 bucket and checking what data I have in this folder. There's a folder named Ticket Spectrum Sales. So there's some sample data which we have. It's called Sales Data. I've already downloaded this file. So what I'm going to show is how this file looks like. I'll just uh, look at uh, some of the top records of this file. OK. So if you look at it, uh, there are a bunch of numbers here. Like, it's hard to make a sense of what these numbers mean. But you can assume it's a tab-separated uh, file with a bunch of columns. And each column probably has some meaning. So, so given, uh, given this data in S3, what we want to do is we want to query this data using Redshift. So, so this, is, this is the data sitting in S3. How do we query this file? Uh, you, can, you can have a CSV instead of this. You can have a log, a data which is generated by your Apache logs or something else. So, so next, we go, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to create a schema. So um, apologies for having underscore five here. I was doing a lot of experiments, and I keep kept changing the numbers, so we reached number five. Um, I hope my uh, demo will work. So let's start with uh, creating a new schema. So my schema got created. It says create schema is successful. Awesome. So so, once the, so as you can see here, I'm creating a database named Spectrum db 5 And the, uh, the, data, um, the schema name is Spectrum5. And then um, I, I have a specific role, which I have created here. This role has access to S3 as well as redshifts, because uh, this redshift now needs to go to my S3 bucket as well. So this, this is both the um, things. Uh, in, the sh- in the interest of time, I'm not showing how to create this role. Uh, but if people have questions, I'll show it. Um, now let's, let's move to the next step. Once we have the schema, let's create a table from the data which we just checked. So uh, I, I showed you some of the file which we have in S3. So let me create this table here. So, so just, just go, let's, let's quickly go through this uh, statement. So what we are saying is create external table. External table means the file which is not on Redshift. Redshift will assume as if the, file, the table exists locally, but the table data actually is still in S3. There's no copying happening here. Nothing is being transferred. It is just a logical statement saying uh, from now on, whenever somebody refers to spectrum underscore uh, five dot sales, uh, this is the schema which we need to uh, comply with, and the, f- the data is stored here. So, so, the, so there's a pointer to this file, and there's a, there's a catalog which we create for this. So, so, so now uh, what we have done is we have created an external table. External table is a text file. It's a tab-separated file, and then uh, it's located here. So now, now let's go to the next step. So now that we have created a table, let's do a simple count star query just to see how many records we have. Uh, so that was it. So when I fi- I'm firing account star, what it is doing is it is going to my node, and this node is sending the query to S3. It's uh, checking which file to download, what to do with the file, and then sending the records back. So it's everything which I'm doing here is going to S3 and coming via S3. Um, now let's do one more statement, a little bit uh, uh, just to see what kind of data we have here just showing the top uh, 10 records. Uh, so, so there's a, a sales ID, list ID, seller ID, and a bunch of things. And uh, because these are the names we gave, we, we said that the first value which you see in the file is sales ID. The second value which you see in the file is list ID. So, so we created a, a schema, and everything in the file now aligns with our schema. So, so far, so good. So we have our schema ready. We have our table ready. Now, one of the things we can do here is, let's say, uh, when we are doing this, if we do explain plan of this, uh, you can see uh, it's, it's going to do a, uh, I'm highlighting this piece, S3 query scan. So it's going to S3. It's going to do a scan there. And then uh, it's telling which file it will go, how many potential rows it's going to scan. So it's telling you that this query goes to S3 and what operations will be done on S3. Now, now let's move to the next one. So, so, so far, uh, we have created a file or created a table, which is a spectrum table. It is going to S3. Uh, it allows us to query the data from S3 without uh, anything being done on Redshift side. Now, let's create a normal S3 uh, uh, Redshift table. So, I, I, I hope everybody here has probably created a table uh, some other time. So, it's pretty simple. I'm, I'm calling it an event table. Uh, and there are a bunch of uh, IDs here, event ID, venue ID, start time, and a few, few other things. So once we create this, uh, we're going to uh, check what this file is. Um, because uh, uh, I'm going to copy data from this file into this. So it's a re- standard Redshift copy. Uh, all of us uh, have done it some other time. So this is an S3 file. If I want to uh, check what kind of things it has, uh, all events, cool. So all events is a file which is all, which, which, which also has a bunch of values separated by a delimiter. And there's no header here. So what we will do is we'll load this data into the new table which we just created. So these are events. So just to give you the context about data, the data which we have in S3 is called sales. So all the sales which have happened are coming into S3. Let's assume there are multiple systems which are pushing the sales data into S3. Now we have created a table called event. Event is just a metadata or a catalog data. So it's telling us these are the potential events we have. Uh, one of the best practices here is whenever your data uh, is uh, uh, just a dimension table, it's good to just keep it here like because it's not too much data. So keep your um, uh, dimension tables here. And if the, it's fact table, you can put it on S3. Um, some people also do um, something called rotate old data into S3. So if your Redshift cluster becomes too big and you know that old data is not queried as much as I want, you can retire your old data into S3, but it is still queryable. So I'm going to show that piece also. But let's let's quickly get to this Redshift piece. So we created a table called event. Now we're going to load this table with the data which I just showed you. So it's a copy command. What we are saying is copy data from this... Uh, place in Redshift, uh, in S3, and we are telling the time format, we are telling some region where this data exists. It's pretty like uh, 10 rows of data, so I think it'll do it uh, uh, quickly. Let's see. And by the time it does it, let's see. Maybe I'll just uh, log in here. Okay. So, awesome. So there are about uh, 8,798 records loaded. So there are a lot of events here and then uh, which are loaded into Redshift. So this is a local table. Even though the data was in S3, we copied all the data into Redshift. So, so far, we have two use cases. Sales data was in S3. It is still in S3, but it is queryable by Redshift. Now, we have events data. It was in S3, but we have copied into Redshift because Redshift uh, queries are generally faster than uh, the spectrum query. So, so we have done those two things. Now let's say um, we want to combine those two together. Like we have some data in Redshift, we have some data in S3. How do we combine them together? Like uh, one of the use cases which I see very commonly is a lot of companies get uh, their access logs. So how people are using their websites, like which IP addresses are using it, uh, which browser people are using, uh, things like that. And that generally comes as a log format, Apache log or some standard uh, comma-separated format and a lot of companies want to use that data along with the other analytical data they have. They want to see for a specific geography uh, what was, uh, how, what, how many people were browsing my website, combine it with a lot of other uh, data you might have in Redshift. So you can do like dynamic uh, queries. So now we have recreated that use case. We have events here, and we have sales there. Now let's, let's run a join query. So what I'm going to do next is I'm going to, um, so before we run this query, let's, let's understand what this query is doing. We are saying select top 10 uh, spectrum.sales.eventId, uh, comma, sum of paid. So what we are doing is we are saying, tell me the top 10 events where uh, the maximum sales happened. So it's going to tell us the most successful events uh, to us. And uh, event data is in uh, uh, Redshift and uh, sales data is in S3. So, and we are joining them as if they are both local. So we are saying sales.eventID is equal to event.salesID and price paid greater than 30. So we are interested only in um, events uh, or sales where at least $30 uh, were paid to us. And uh, let's, let's run it. So. Uh, we got our top 10 uh, events where things happen, and uh, as you can see, uh, it's pretty quick. Uh, depending on uh, how you store, I think your query performance will improve or uh, degrade. Uh, so far, we have not done much performance things. We, we have data in S3. We are just using it. We have data in Redshift. We have used it. We are using it. Now let's jump into the performance side. How do we... Uh, so far, it works, but how do we make it more scalable, more optimized? So So what can we do in this use case when you have... Uh, exabytes of data. So Redshift spectrum can support uh, very, very large files and a huge number of files. So we we can do a lot of optimizations to improve the performance of spectrum. So let's let's go through uh, the performance things I talked about one by one. So first thing we're going to start with is uh, partitions. Before I jump into partitions, let me just quickly show the explain plan of this, so you'll, you'll see it very similar to the explain plan, which I, we saw before. So let's not look into everything, but I just wanted to show you it's doing a hash join, and it's joining uh, using S3 query scan. So it's again going to the sales, it's doing a S3 query scan, it's doing a hash aggregate in S3, it's telling how many approximate rows it's going to scan, uh, and uh, uh, it will do a, a S3 sequence scan. Um, so it's just to get an idea, now uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to create a similar use case, but with partition data. So let's say if we have partitions, um, how many of you use partitions already? Raise your hands if you use. OK, so it seems there are a lot of people who have not used it. So, so the way partitions work is, um, generally um, you have, like uh, in our real world use cases, we have a lot of data. It could be terabytes of data which are stored in file. If you create a single file which has all the data stored in it and you query through Redshift, Redshift, what Redshift will do is first it will download the file, parse it, and then try to make some decisions. So the downloading itself will take a lot of time. In a lot of cases, we don't need to download the full file, especially for examples where you want to, you're interested only on a specific date. You're saying, hey, tell me what happened yesterday. You don't want to download the full year if you want to, are interested only in um, yesterday. So a lot, of, a lot of people partition by date They'll say uh, they'll have the first partition by year, then month, then date. And then within those partitions, you have different files. So Redshift will intelligently identify what files I should download. And then it will minimize the data set. So, so that's where partitions are useful. So now let me show you how partitions can be implemented so if you have large number of files in S3, or you can, uh, so you can improve the performance of the use cases like this. So let's first. Uh, look at the data. So there's another data set which uh, I have. Uh, First, I'm showing you the data. So I just did a S3 list, and I'm going to a a location called Spectrum Sales Partition. So the same data, but it's partitioned this time. So let me show you a gist of how this data looks like. So as you can see here, uh, the first first value uh, or the name of the folder which we have is sales date equal to 2008-1. So this is the first partition key. It's saying uh, all the data... Corresponding to uh, the first of uh, or January of 2008 is going to be in this folder. Um, All the data for February of 2008 is going to be in this folder. So let's look into one of those folders first. So I'll I'll say uh, that's great. Like uh, you have done a good job uh, segregating this, but let's look into what is inside one of them. So so within each month we have six files. So it it doesn't need to be six. It could be any number. Uh, Maybe you have daily level files. Maybe you have uh, files generated every five minutes. Uh, it doesn't matter, but you have some files, and you want to see... Um, and, and let's look into one of the files so we understand uh, what kind of structure uh, they have. So I'll do a head. Um, 0, zero, zero. I, Okay, cool. So I had already downloaded this file, but this looks very similar to the file we saw earlier. It's, uh, again, a, a delimited file and a lot of columns here. So structurally it is the same, just that the data was splitted into multiple files, and those files are stored... In a way such that we know which um, for a given date where are the files for that date. So that's that's the simple partition here. Now let's move to the next step. So once we have the uh, we know that the partitions let's let's go to the next step. So what we're going to do is we're going to create another table which is very similar to the first table we created, but let's look at the difference. So we are again saying create external table. We are telling the name of the table. We're defining the schema. And then finally, we are saying fields are terminated. Uh, what is the delimiter? Uh, stored as text file. And then this is where my partition data is, and uh, uh, table properties here. So, so one of the unique things here, you, which is important to notice, is partition by. So when we create a table, we tell the table, hey table, you are partitioned by this specific uh, uh, column, and it it could be partitioned by multiple columns because you can have. Uh, maybe different product lines, and within those product lines, you have different dates. So you can say first product number will come, and then the date will come, or it could be a lo- lot of hierarchical information. But uh, partition by is one of the columns. So you just say which column it is partitioned, or it could be multiple columns. So so let's run this. So it created very quick. Um, it, the same same concept applies here. This query doesn't do anything. It's just telling it, hey, the data is stored here, and this is the uh, metadata, which we expect, or we call it data catalog, so, so this is the catalog, and the data still is here so now now we have a very similar table as before, just that the raw data is partitioned here so let's let 's run the similar query here uh, right now, when we created this, it has not loaded data, so as you, uh, if you remember when we went to this location s three this it has it had multiple folders, so by default, it has not added any. Uh, partitions into it. So we will need to add it. So uh, what we will do is we'll say, hey, these are the dates you should uh, be aware of. So what people do is every night or every day or every five minutes, whatever the cadence is, every time you see a new data file come or every time uh, there's a logical uh, interval of partition, you just add a new partition so it knows that this is the partition I need to scale, scan. You can also do it automatically. I think... Uh, um, for, for this example, uh, what I want to do is I will add all the partitions we had uh, and, and I'll just jump into one of those statements so we know what, what it is doing. So, so let's look, uh, okay, so it's running some of them, but let, let it finish and then I'll, uh, so what it is doing is, um, let me show you, okay, alter external table. Cool, so it's finished. So, so we, I had like repetition of statements like this multiple times. But let's, jump into, uh, let's look into the highlighted section. I'll, I'll probably highlight one other one. Let's, let's highlight this one. So what I'm saying is uh, alter table, the sales underscore part. So we just renamed the table to or created a new table called sales underscore part. Part means partition. And then we are adding a partition. Uh, sales date equal to uh, uh, 10. Uh, so we are saying October 2008. And then uh, we are saying the location of this partition is here. We are just telling the location. And after that, uh, it knows that this is the data I should be aware of. So so we just uh, made our partition uh, table aware of all the partitions which it has. So let's let's do the next thing here. Uh, What we want to do is actually we can do some queries here. For example, we can say, uh, just to keep it simple, select star from uh, this table which we just created. Oops, I think I loaded it again. Let's close it. OK, go back. Okay, let's log in again. Awesome. So we are again in our terminal. I wanted to do a select star from uh, the file, uh, the table which we just created. Okay. And let's do some limit 10. So we'll just see the top 10. And um, what it is going to do is it's going to the partitions, checking what kind of file it has. So, so it's giving us a consistent view across the all the partitions so it's uh, uh, we can we can apply like partition filters and as you would imagine the, those queries will be much faster than our normal queries because if if you say where date um, the the partition which we had here was uh, sale date and uh, and if if that filter is applied the query will be much faster because it's going to look at very small set of data but if the filter is something outside of those pa- partitions it's going to look at uh, all the data and think, think, um, think in terms of what, what different filters are applied and try to reduce the set of data. So let's, uh, so, so I just ran this query. Now now one of the things we can do to understand how our partitioned uh, tables is performing is uh, we can create an external, uh, we, we can, uh, there's a table which, where we store this. It's called uh, SVV external partition. So, so let's, let me run this query and then I'll show you what this query is doing. Um, So uh, let's scroll down. So there are a few things I'm doing, saying select schema name, table name, values, uh, location from SVV external partitions where schema name equal to spectrum underscore five. So this is the schema I just created. It's telling us what partitions uh, this table is aware of right now. So it's telling, for a given table, at a given time, you can ask what partitions exist. So it's telling us it probably has some eight or nine partitions, uh, actually, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I think, 12 partitions, and it's telling where each of the partition data resides. So, so that's, that's good to know. Now uh, we can do a query uh, just to see how this table is performing. Okay. Uh, let's do a query here. So, so in this case, we, are, we did a similar query again. We are saying, tell me top 10 customers where um, the sale was greater than $30, and tell me the top 10 events uh, i mean I, i'm not running timer here but if you have a use case you can imagine this query will be much faster than other uh, if you're hitting a partition in this case we are not but if you apply a where where a specific partition is being hit uh, the partition data queries will be much faster than others and uh, uh, cool so uh, i think one more thing uh, to understand here there's another table which stores how, how S3 is performing for all the queries you're doing. As, as you become a more um, a more advanced uh, spectrum user, you would want to see how spectrum is performing, like uh, how many time I'm hitting S3, what kind of performance issues I'm having. So, so it's telling us, for each query, uh, how much time S3 took. So it has a like bunch of things, so things like how much time was elapsed in S3, uh, what was the table name, how many rows did we scan in S3, uh, what, how many scanned bytes we had. Uh, one thing to remember here is, is uh, Spectrum is an on-demand service, which means you don't pay any fees if you don't run a query. You pay only if you run a query. And the, the way query is charged is how much data it is scanning. So it's good to, uh, when you have a use case which is repeating, it's good to check uh, how much data are we scanning. Based on the how much data you scan, uh, your price will vary. Um, uh, and, uh, and it's telling us how many rows are returned uh, and a lot of other interesting things. So this is a very interesting... A query to be aware of uh, if you want to check um, how my S3 interactions are happening, how much time it is taking, and other things. Now, now let's jump into the next piece. So, so far so good. Um, it's um, it's doing uh, partitions. Now I want to show you how do you automate all this. Like uh, one of the things which a lot of people have is you have a lot of data coming in. How can you create a compressed file out of the raw data which is coming? How can you make sure it is Parquet, Parquet, or something else which is fast? How can you compress it? So let me show you uh, how you can do it using Parquet. So we have a service called Glue. Uh, it does a lot of things um, for you, so I'm going to show you some of them. So, so first, uh, first thing first, I want to show you um, a lab. This is just good to remember, because uh, for some of you who are uh, interested in this, you can just repeat this lab in your home or in your office. Uh, this, this, this contains all the instructions of what I'm doing. So if you want to repeat this, just go to this link. Uh, some of my colleagues have created this. Uh, it allows you to use Glue to create uh, a serverless uh, uh, data pipeline or, or an ETL pipeline, which is taking the data and it's converting into Parquet, it's compressing it, and then uh, all the things happen from there. So, so this is just a good thing to be aware of. Now let's, let's move to um, our normal exercise. Um, so first thing, I want to um, go to my console. I'll go to my AWS console. First thing, let's, let's create a new S3 bucket. So this will be a bucket where I would put my data. So, so let's call it uh, anupam-reinvent. re Let's say 17. Cool. And I'll say create. So I just created it. uh, And within that file, within that bucket, I'll create two folders. One is a temporary folder, and one is a target folder. And I'll explain you why. So temporary folder is for uh, temporary files, which uh, Glue is going to create. And target is where I want my final data to come. So so what Glue is going to do is it's going to take the source data. It's gonna run. It's a Spark engine actually, so it uses Spark to convert your raw data into a compressed data, which is a, which could be Snappy or could be anything else. And it also does Parquet. Parquet is a columnar storage. So when you have a filters in your query, how many of you know about Parquet here? Just raise your hands if you know. Okay, probably half of you don't know. So I'll quickly tell you. Um, there are a lot of columnar formats these days. Um, uh, Parquet is pretty popular, but there are a lot of others. Uh, but what they do is when you have a query where you say select uh, column A, column B, column C, it's taking only those three columns. It's not looking at all the columns. So if you have very wide columns, uh, um, columnar storage is very, very um, aff- efficient. It saves a lot of money. Uh, it's also very fast. And compression, as usual, is great because you're scanning less amount of data if it is compressed. So, so I created these two. Now let me go to Glue, and we're going to do some cool stuff there. So Glue is a very new service. So I think... Uh, we uh, geared it in the last uh, New York summit a uh, few months back. So first thing, uh, first thing first. Uh, what I'll do is I'll add a new database. Let's call it. Uh, um, so so for this use case, I'm using a taxi data. The reason I'm using taxi data is a, it's a pretty big size data and a lot of things have already been done on that. So I just want to keep it simple and easy. So let's call it NY taxi data five. That's my uh, uh, database name, so I created that, and uh, what I will do there is now, now first thing, I, what I want to do is, there's a concept of crawler so what crawler does is you, you can tell a glue crawler to go to a specific location and check what data exists there and then whenever a new data file comes, it can automatically run a series of steps and do some ETL for you, so let me show you how it works so, so first, we have to give a crawler name. So let's call it uh, reInvent17. Uh, uh, Next. So there are two type of data store it can go to. It could go to a JDBC connection. So it can go to there and say, hey, tell me what data you have. Or it can go to a S3 location. And then, uh, sorry, let's go to use S3 here. And then you can either crawl the data from your own account, a bucket in your account, or you can crawl from another account. So in this use case, I'm crawling from another account. There's a public bucket, which is already created, so I'm going to use that bucket. So let me go to my notes. And uh, there's, a, there's a bucket which already has some uh, New York taxi data. This is the open source data, which a lot of companies use for testings like this. So, so now it's asking, do I need another data store? I will say no. Um, one minute, let me make sure uh, there are no patterns. Cool, so I'm not using any patterns. And then um, IAM role, you can create a new role, or you can use an existing. I have uh, already created a role, so I'll just use that. It's pretty simple. Um, now there are two, three options here. Do you want to run it hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, or on-demand? So to keep it simple, I'm running on-demand. And then it's saying, uh, what do I want to do with the output? So the scroller will do a bunch of things, it comes with the, with the result, What do you want to do with the result? They are such telling, do you want to put it in a database? Um, yes, I think we just created uh, uh, I think uh, -- one second one. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> uh, prefix added to the tables. So when I create the tables here, so what it's gonna do is it's it's gonna discover the data. Once it finds it, it's gonna put it in this this database. Uh, do we want to add a prefix to the table? Yes. We, I mean we would love to. So let's call it reinvent uh, maybe underscore seventeen underscore. So what I'm gonna do is every table it creates, it'll add this prefix. Next, uh, it says okay, finish it. Once we do that, uh, the scroller is ready. It's saying, do you want to run it now? Yes, we will run it now. So, so it's, go- it's running right now. I think it takes about uh, 30, 40 seconds. So let it run. By the time it's running, let me show you the architecture of uh, how this thing works. So a quick, quick show of uh, the architecture here. So, and uh, let me make it a little bigger. So so there's the S3 bucket, and S3 bucket has some data. This is the source data. It could come from your web servers. It could come from your third party, which are pushing data to you. It could be anything. So you're getting a lot of data. Once you get the data, Glue crawler will go there and discover, what does this data look like? So it's going to interpret some things. But you can also override some of the things it interprets. You can say, OK, whenever you see this column, even though it's called ABC, I want to call it XYZ. So you can change those things. And then it creates a catalog based on the data. So it creates a, just the uh, it's, it's called catalog, which which is metadata. So it knows what does the schema of this data look like, and then um, and then you, we run a job. Uh, look at the bottommost thing here, uh, the bottommost bucket. This is another bucket, or it could be same bucket. But what we are saying is that the source data will come in CSV format on the top. Crawler should go there every uh, hour or every um, day or whatever frequency you choose. And it should take that data and put it in a Parquet format in the lower bucket. And once it is in lower, Redshift y- should use this data. Redshift should not talk to the source data. So because then you're compressing the data. It's Parquet, so it's fast. So everything, uh, every good thing is happening by using Glue. And Redshift is talking to this. Redshift Spectrum is talking to this. So uh, hopefully our job would have run, uh, finished by now. Okay, so, yep, it says uh, done. So if you look at this um, crawler, what it does is, um, so I I think the crawler was called reinvent 17, yep. So if we go uh, to this, uh, it says it, it added three tables. So now if we go to our tables, we should see some three tables. Uh, to make it simple, I think we added a prefix here. Um, uh, let's refresh this. It's showing... Okay, one of my, yeah. So when I refreshed, I think my new table showed up. I call them reinvent underscore uh, 17 underscore whatever that is. Uh, so so let's look at one of them. So let's go to yellow one. So it's saying that uh, by looking at the data, it thought there, there's a vendor ID, which is actually, let me increase the font size here. It's saying there's a vendor ID, which is uh, big end. There are a few other things, things like that. Um, and then once we have that, so it has created a table. The next thing we can do is... Uh, Uh, We can uh, create a job. So what I will do is I'll go to the jobs here. So now now it understands the table. Now let me quickly create a job. So I'll call it reinvent uh, underscore park underscore hyphen job. uh, Underscore job, let's call it. And then uh, I am role. I already have a role. Uh, do I want to use a proposed script generated by AWS Glue? So we already have a lot of scripts. We'll use Glue script rather than writing our own, but we can always run our own. So you can have your custom um, code, which is uh, Spark compatible Java code, um, and then you can put it here. But let's use the one which we have. And then saying, uh, what's, uh, what is the file name? That's okay. Uh, S3 path where script is stored. So we created a new table today. I think we called it uh, reinvent something. So here it is. Okay, so I select that bucket. S3 pathway script is stored. And then temp- because this script doesn't exist, it's going to put its script there. Uh, temporary directory, so this is, this is where the temporary directory we created uh, comes handy. So we'll, we'll say this is the temporary directory you can use. And advanced. By default, job is disabled, so we're going to say enable, next. And then uh, choose your data source. Uh, so we are saying... Um, uh, what are the what are the data sources you're interested in? So in this case, we're gonna choose just the yellow taxi, just to keep it simple. And then choose your data targets. So 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 target could be an existing table or it could be a new table. So let's create a new table. We'll say, hey, we don't. Uh, every time you find a set of data, create a new file in S3, and the format of that should be parquet. So as you can see, there are a bunch of formats we support: JSON, CSV. Uh, Avro, Parquet, and ORC. So for this one, we'll use Parquet. And we'll say, where, where should you store this uh, file once you have done all the work? So we're going to say, store in the same folder, uh, but store in target. Uh, so you can have a different bucket here if you want. And then finally, it's showing, uh, do you want any customization on top of what I discovered? So it's saying there's a vendor ID, which is big So we can probably change some of the things if we want. Like we can call it uh, pick up date. can we call pick up uh, Underscore date, let's say. So you can clean up things. You can change data type if you want. Uh, so in the interest of time, I'll keep it simple. And then finally, uh, it's saying, uh, do you want to run uh, finish? And once we finish, it shows the code it, uh, it has generated. So it is saying it has done, uh, uh, it's doing this mapping. It is doing some dynamic mapping. So this is a simple code, but as you can see, it's doing uh, a lot of Spark jobs. And then finally, I'll run this. So once I run Uh, For the data which I have chosen, it takes about 30 minutes, so I'm not going to ask you to wait here. I've already done it uh, in a different database, but just to show you um, uh, what the way you can use it is, uh, let's go here. You can do a so so. What will this will do is the output of this will be if you go to your S3 file, the file uh, the bucket which we created, you will see. so this is, this is one which I created earlier. If I go to target, you'll see things like this. So it will create a lot of snappy Parquet files. These are the files which it's creating based on the data which it discovered. And then you'll point your spectrum to this, and this spectrum will be much faster than what it would be on the raw table because it, has, it is columnar, it is compressed. Uh, and uh, just to complete the story, let me just uh, create this. I'll go back to my console. Okay, let me exit, oops, oops, okay, oops, okay. So, uh, control Z. Okay, so I I already have, uh, so I haven't created the schema, that's okay. So, I think I can create it here. Okay, it created a schema, and then I'll just... So as you can see, this is a, dif- a very similar command. Uh, we have done it like a bunch of times now. We are again creating an external table. We are just saying stored as Parquet. That is the only difference. It's, we're telling that it, it's a Parquet data. It created an external table. The only difference you will see is this will be much faster table, much cheaper because the data is compressed, columnar storage, and you just got everything uh, by a bunch of clicks. Like no, no scripting done. Everything is automated. You can have, schedule your jobs. You can queue them. You can do a lot of things. So, so that was the um, demo I wanted to show. We, gonna, we have like uh, five minutes or so. So, uh, so we're going to use that for questions. Uh, just uh, I can quickly show you uh, that this table indeed works. Um, just to uh, select count star on this, it will probably show us there are probably a million or so, uh, 10 million or so. Uh, rows in this, and uh, it's doing pretty fast. So uh, that's the end of the demo. Um, uh, what, to summarize, what we did were we started with a file which was stored in, in S3. We queried it using Redshift. Then we created a Redshift native table. Then we combined both of them. And then finally we showed, once you have the files in S3, how can you use Glue to automatically create compressed files and uh, columnar storage like Parquet or something else using Glue and everything can uh, can be automated. So one of the u- frequent use cases I see is a lot of customers who have big clusters. They d- uh, they do a Redshift unload, which means they remove some data from Redshift, they put it in S3, and then they run Parquet on it, so it becomes fast. Uh, but still, uh, they get a lot of uh, cost advantages, they got a lot of performance advantages, so you can think about use cases where you can use it. Uh, with that, um, I wanna, uh, Mike, you want to come on the stage? Uh, let's, let's take a couple of questions if you have... Uh, any questions, uh, we would love to answer them. Yep. So a quick question. When
0: you're, when you're scanning flat uh, files with uh, uh, spectrum, large data, large data sets, there's going to be some bad data, right? So when the crawler crawls and creates that, it, it's basically
1: samples to that data, or does, does it, does it Yeah, so if there are, like, anomalies, let's say there's things which uh, don't match, uh, there's uh, some way for you to, say, ignore it so, for example, you need to come up with a fallback, right? If the column doesn't exist, to put a null there or things like It's a relational database, so, so you can do all that. Uh, but you just need to be aware what is the fallback you're going to because some fallbacks, some people are very strict that I always want this column. For example, if it's an identity column or things like that. But if there are uh, some mismatches, you need to decide what do you want to do when a mismatch happens because you have the full access to the script. Uh, it will be mostly customization through the script, uh, the Spark, Spark script, which we have in the glue. So, it auto generates the base script for you. In most cases, you don't need to change it, but if you know there are data quality issues, uh, you will have access to each row there. You can, like, say, do some custom things on top of it. Yep. When well, you're doing the partitioning,
0: uh, the sales date in this particular example, was the, the name of the directory reports, The sales date equals, or is that just
1: the directory name for, for convenience? The sales date itself wasn't in the file, was it? So, sales data was in the file. But the name, the path, is very important there. That's how it knows which files to go to. So when you say partitions, you can have a high number of, uh, uh, what is called, uh, uh, slash delimited uh, values. And it will go first partition, second partition, third partition. So the the format is partition name equal to, partition name comes first, equal to what is the value of that partition for the data which is stored within that folder. Yeah, that's required, yeah. As far as I know. yep. I have a question on the, uh, the uh, view. When uh, you create a table, you create the, the pocket part. Yep. So uh, you said uh, there is was partitioned and compressed. But we are not mentioning the partition here. So how oh, the, the, the New York t- taxi which we created? Yeah, so in this case, uh, it's not partitioned. So if you go to the source data, I can quickly show you. There's no partition there. It's compressed. And Parquet. So there are three things here. One is partitioning, which means you have a logical structure to your files. We are not doing that in the last step. Uh, we are doing two other things, though. We are compressing it using snappy compression. And we are also uh, using Parquet. If you open the file, it will look like a um, very, it's a binary file. We cannot, like, there are ways to read Parquet, but you cannot directly read it. So partition is not happening here. It's, it's Parquet format, and uh, it's compressed. What? Oh yeah, actually we should. Uh, in the interest of time, I didn't do that. But you can have a step where you say um, you should put the file in the partition name. So yep. so that will make kill two birds in one shot. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Yep. Compression of uh, sort keys. Yeah, do you, do you know about that? Not for
0: the compound interleaved.
1: Yeah, because I know uh, the primary um, key shouldn't be compressed, but I, I don't know about this from the top of the head, so we'll discuss offline and see if we can find an answer. Yep. So is spectrum based on Hive syntax? Is it Hive syntax? So spectrum is, uh, uh, when you use spectrum from Redshift, it's, it's exactly like Redshift. So you don't have to decide, oh, it's spectrum, so I, my query should be different. Your interface to Spectrum is exactly the same as Redshift. That's the best benefit, actually, because there's another option called Athena, which we didn't go to today. Uh, but uh, you can query S3 files using Athena as well. But the advantages of doing through Redshift is if you have existing data in Redshift, you can join very easily. It's, uh, it's very seamless to your user experience, because your, the queries will automatically go to S3 or Redshift, depending on where it is stored. But the, um, the way people are interacting is going to be same. Yeah, let's take one last question. if I want to unload uh all the data for redshift to three, like for example, all the very five years like this, should I consider uh type of design uh and create separate tables for each year to unload this or uh Yeah, so that's a good question. Like if you have a lot of data in redshift, how should you unload? The best uh, way people do it is You you think, look at your query patterns and see how much uh, of data you generally scan. Like, look at your daily query patterns. And if you think that uh, more than two years, like, older than two years is never queried, I think it's a good idea to put that in S3 because the performance of data in S3 would not be same as this, but it's much more scalable. Uh, You can have, like, exabytes of data and still fire a query with a very low uh, cost. So so what people do is they generally have... uh, uh, time data, yeah. So the table will have some time component in it. It could be year, it could be month, and then they uh, they have a rolling window kind of thing, like keep or last 12 months in Redshift, and everything older uh, retires to um, S3, and then you add a new partition in the file, so you have like access to both of them. Yep. Cool. So uh, we'll be here uh, and we'll take some questions offline. But thank you very much for coming here.